Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Royal Alliance Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Nick Pollock. Nick, how you sounded? Wonderful. Let's talk Brent Pry. Good. Uh, Nick's, uh, we, this is like our third attempt to do this because of some uh, audio issues, but we love you, so we're going to try and do that. Uh, yeah, we're, uh, of course, going to be having some season wrap-up stuff coming in the coming days and weeks, but we're doing a uh, kind of spur-of-the-moment podcast tonight because big news out of the world of Penn State football. Brent Pry, Penn State's defensive coordinator since 2016, someone who has been on James Franklin's staff since back in his Vanderbilt days back in 2011, has finally made the jump from Happy Valley to another job heading to Virginia Tech, uh, where he was a graduate assistant from 1995 to 1997 under Frank Beamer and Bud Foster. Uh, It's a really big jump for Brent Pry. uh, Nick and I absolutely think that, have thought for a while that he was going to get a head coaching job. But Nick, you look at this and yeah, Virginia Tech's not in a particularly great place right now, which is something we'll get into a little bit. But I, when I thought Brent Pry was going to leave Penn State sometime, I never expected it to be for a Power Five job with the potential that Virginia Tech has. When I, you would hear that phrase, Brent Pry leaving someday, what went through your mind? Was it a job with the clout that Virginia Tech has? I think to me, Virginia Tech is the one Power Five job that always kind of made sense, just given his given his history there, but. I, I think the timing is important here. I think when we were talking about, and we know Brent Price had, he's had some other visits, he's had some interviews, he's had interest over the view, over the last few years with uh, Louisiana Lafayette, for example. Uh, I think that was more the caliber job that we were, most people were expecting. But I, like it's just because you know that's typically the kind of job that a defensive coordinator when they get their first head coach job, it typically will be a smaller school like that so they can get their feet wet. But, you know, Brent Pry has been at Penn State with James Franklin, like you said, since 2014. He's been the defensive coordinator since 2016. Like, he's been doing this a good long while. And, you know, there's not every defensive coordinator is Brett Venables. Like, not everybody's going to stay in that role for, you know, until the cows come home. Um, waiting for that absolute perfect job. But I, I think this, it, it, it wasn't as surprising as I, like if you had told me three days ago, Brent Pry is going to get a Power 5 jo- head coaching job this offseason, I would have been surprised unless you told me it was Virginia Tech. Then I would have been mm-hmm. like, oh, that, that kind of makes sense. Because like you said, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, Virginia Tech is not in a good place right now. Justin Fuente just really did not do a good job there. Um and so I think they're kind of in a position where they can take uh, at least it's it's somewhat of a gamble to take a chance on a guy in his first head coaching job. Um, I don't really see Brent Prize necessarily being someone who's going to like like his profile doesn't really seem terribly risky per se as a head coach. But um, I it's I think it I think it makes sense for everyone involved. I'm I'm inclined to agree. Uh, there was there's been a lot of really good stuff written uh, over the years about that relationship between Brent Pry and James Franklin. A really good piece by Audrey Snyder in the Athletic that went up today uh, had a quote from James Franklin that said the consistency that we had with Brent and our defense staff has been huge. Brent has obviously led the way there for a long time here at Penn State and with me for a long time. And that last little bit's the really important part. Uh, quote that. 
Brent Pry gave over the summer uh, that BenJonesStateCollege.com put out into the universe uh, again today. I tell young coaches all the time, you shouldn't really feel like you take a job because you need to or you have to. When you're in a good job and in a good place, you can be very selective. And that's kind of where my wife and I, where we're at at this time. So I'm not going to say never, but you know, I think when the time is right and the situation's right, I have James' support. And that's very much been the case. I mean, I, I think it was Sean Fitz who pointed out that Brent Pry, in his little statement on social media that he was leaving, got a graphic from Penn State's graphics department, which is not something you see every day. James Franklin was quoted in the release that Virginia Tech put out. It's very obvious that there is just such a bond and a relationship there that it was going to take something special for Brent Pry to move on. But like you said, Nick, Whenever we've heard Brent Pry's name kicked around, it's for decent Power Five jobs. You mentioned uh, Louisiana schools in the past. Uh, I don't remember if his name popped up at Buffalo after Lance Leipold left, uh, but his alma mater uh, is the mighty Buffalo Bulls. So, you know, I suppose that wouldn't be a shock at that. Uh, if that was there, I'd have to go back and look. Uh, but instead, he's going to a place in Virginia Tech that he knows, that knows him. He brings a mentality that I think is going to be really I, – I, I think the word, Nick, is – it's a mentality that's kind of been missing from Virginia Tech. When you look at the last couple of years of Virginia Tech football – there's the Virginia Tech that you and I think of because you and I grew up watching some really kick-ass Virginia Tech teams. And then there's what Justin Fuente had done in recent years. And I think just looking at this as a college football fan, and I think you're going to agree with me, I think Brent Pry is just such a perfect cultural fit for what we think of when we think of the glory days of Virginia Tech. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I think the one thing that we can feel pretty confident that Brent Pry is going to do is that he's going to build a good defensive staff and they're going to ha be a very strong defensive football team. And frankly, if you play in the ACC and you can be the better defensive unit, you have a really good chance of winning a whole bunch of football games. Just look at Clemson. Clemson's offense is a disaster this season, but they're still going to probably win. Or did they did they hit ten wins? Or or they're they're at nine. nine. They ended nine get ten three. in the bowl. Okay, yeah. They won. They went nine and three despite having an offense that was you know essentially broken from the first moment it got on the field and never improved. But they were able to get to that nine win threshold because they have a phenomenal defense. I'm not saying that Virginia Tech is going to have the talent at its disposal that Clemson does, but I think we have plenty of evidence at this point to know that Brent Pry knows how to build a defense. It's not perfect. No defense is perfect. It's, he certainly has, you know, his occasional bugaboo. Like we've seen plenty of plenty of opposing quarterbacks have career days against Penn State, for example. We've seen, you know, maybe one more third down conversion than you would like to see here and there. But overall, his defense has been his defenses have been pretty outstanding with Penn State. And I feel confident that he's going to be able to do that at Virginia Tech. I think the the questions that I think might come in as far as 
yeah, I, I'm interested. I'm interested to see kind of what his what his leash there is uh, necessarily because Virginia Tech has been recruiting really poorly recently, and ooh brother, yeah, he just doesn't. There's not a lot there in the cupboard for him in terms of you know just high level power five uh, football players right now. So one, I'm really interested to see. Uh, one, I'm interested to see just how well he recruits on his own because you know he's he's been a he, and he hasn't really had to be a lead recruiter for anyone at Penn State in quite a while. James Franklin typically doesn't make his coordinators do that unless they really want to get in on something. Like I know Mike Yersich has been really involved in quarterback recruiting, but that's not something that Franklin makes his coordinators take a really big part in. They play more supplementary roles in, in that regard. So I'm curious to see kind of what a Brent Pry recruiting strategy looks like at Virginia Tech, because there's a ton of talent in Virginia that has been pillaged by, like th- that state has been pillaged by several other major programs over the years and has only gotten worse with the kind of the fall of Virginia Tech under Fuente, Penn State being one of those programs. But, you know, Alabama's gotten plenty of guys from that DMV area. Uh, Ohio State has done well there. Like there's a lot to compete with, but you know, a lot of those kids, as with any state, there's going to be a nice number of kids that want to stay home. So mm-hmm. it's that that to me is almost more interesting. I, I feel pretty confident in saying what I feel like the Virginia Tech program look like on the field. I'm really inter- interested to see what the recruiting looks like, though. I, I, I am inclined to agree. Uh, you mentioned uh, Brent Prize staff. Uh, he has apparently already decided to uh, keep uh, J.C. Price, uh, who has been serving as the team's interim head coach around, uh, was the defensive line coach. Uh, I assume he's probably going to keep in that role, which is, of course, big for Penn State because uh, John Scott, you would assume this means he's not going to head over there in some other capacity, but we'll see. And then uh, just to correct an earlier statement, uh, he was Pry was mentioned uh, as a potential name to take over for Leipold uh, at Buffalo, but it doesn't seem like there was any legitimate uh, contact there. Uh, but Nick mentioned uh, recruiting in the DMV, which is obviously a gigantic thing for Penn State. It's a gigantic thing for a bunch of power uh, power. Uh, five schools because that is such a talent rich area and you think of Virginia Tech as a team that should be doing well there this year uh, the number 20 class in the country interesting enough uh, top two commits Gunnar Givens and Ramon Brown both on the offensive side of the football both players who consider Penn State pretty strongly but then you get you know you pop the hood on this thing and you look at recent years of Virginia Tech recruiting and I said this stuff to Nick before we started recording, and I I laughed very hard. Not because like I want Virginia Tech to do poorly or anything like that, but I just could not fathom the extent to which things have fallen there. In 2021, Virginia Tech had the number 44 ranked class in the country, the number 10 class in the ACC, and that was with 28 kids in it. They had one four-star prospect in that class. Go back a year to 2020. Virginia Tech had the number 76 class in the country, 14 in the ACC. There are 14 schools in the ACC. That year's class, 16 kids, one four-star. That one four-star defensive man by the name of Alec Bryant, who was the number 329 player in the country. Nick, he is going into a place where 
he's going to have quite the rebuild job ahead of him in terms of getting talent into that program. I think it's, it's not, I don't want to say that's not going to be difficult, but what I am going to say uh, is that he is in the ACC and it's a little bit easier. I would argue to build in the ACC since that conference uh, goes through spells where it really stinks, especially in the ACC coastal, which uh, someone wins it every year and it's usually by default. Uh, but what I will say is that I don't think you are hiring Brent Pry or a defensive minded guy like Brent Pry and someone who is in the, you know, is a Bud Foster disciple, is someone who coached under Frank Beamer thinking he's going to come in here, going to hit the ground running to the point that we're just going to take off and win 10 games year one. This seems like a hire to me where Virginia Tech is saying, we've gotten away from what we are. We need to give him time to bring back that lunch pail culture that is such uh you know, so synonymous with Virginia Tech football. And if that takes a couple of years, it takes a couple of years. Yeah, I hope so, because, you know, it seems pretty likely that it will take a couple of years, barring, you know, I don't know, barring what they're able to do in the transfer market. You know, we've seen teams kind of turn their fortunes around pretty quickly with bringing in the right transfers. But yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I, I don't think this is I, I sure I hope that nobody is looking at this and thinking that he's going to immediately turn this into a you know twelve win team, eleven win team, ten win team. Just because it's hard to do that as a defensive head coach coming into a new spot. That's typically the kind of roster construction that takes a little bit, like he said. Um, yeah, so I, I I feel confident and have faith in the fact that the Virginia Tech athletic department athletic department understands that this is going to take a little bit of time. Yeah, and I, the, the kind of the final thing I'll say here before we start moving on to the more Penn State side of this is that uh, something that I thought was really cool uh, was Virginia Tech's release where they announced that Brent Pry got the job. It had a quote from Franklin, obviously. It also had quotes from Frank Beamer and from Bud Foster. Uh, it, it straight up said in the release that Foster has served as a longtime mentor for Pry. He said he's been watching Pry grow, mature, and excel at a very high level in the coaching professional. It, it, it seems like after the Justin Fuente, uh, you know, I think debacle is probably a pretty safe word to use here. They decided we need to get back to basics. And the fact that they tabbed Brent Pry for that is something, you know, I think is really cool. I mean, he's had a really good legacy of success here at Penn State, and I'm excited to see what he does down there. And even more so, Nick, I'm excited to see what happens with Penn State after all of this. I mean, you're looking at a defense, losing a defensive coordinator for a defense that this past year was fifth in defense, has been, I'll say has been because they're still the bowl game, has been fifth in defensive SP+, seventh in scoring defense, fourth in red zone defense, eighth in passing efficiency defense, top 40 in fumbles and interceptions game. I'm obviously cherry-picking stats. If you pop the hood, there are going to be some things that aren't necessarily as great in there, you know, kind of by design of how this defense functions. But at the end of the day, Penn State's defense is very, very good and has been very, very good at keeping opposing teams from scoring points. And that is even considering Penn State's offense is not exactly put them in good positions to stop opposing teams from scoring points. Let's take a look at how his loss 
impacts Penn State because losing Brent Pry is a pretty big deal. We'll start with probably the easier thing to talk about here, which is recruiting. And Penn State's recruiting class has some very, very good defensive players in it, particularly at the top of the class, the best player per 24-7 deposit denied to Sutton. You go on down the list and you look at some of the guys they have in there, Christian Driver, Ken Talley, Cam Miller, Zane Durant, Abdul Carter, uh, all four-star players on the defensive side of the football. I don't think I am as concerned here, but what do you say about the way Penn, about how it seems like Penn State is going to have to replace someone who, in addition to what he does as a coach, is a damn fine recruiter as well. Yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, I, I, I don't think this has much of an impact at all on Penn State recruiting. Um, I, I mean, firstly, because I have faith in James Franklin to make another good hire, uh, whether we're talking about the linebackers coach or the defensive coordinator, or if that does end up being the same guy or whatever, whatever the situation is there. I, I don't think it's going to have a notable effect, especially on this class. One, because this class is so close to signing. And two, just because, like I said before, Brent Pry, you know, since becoming the coordinator, is not as um, not quite as involved in recruiting as he was when he was simply the linebackers coach. Because, again, that's just that's how Franklin does it with his coordinators. He likes to let them focus more on scheme and all that stuff. So uh, I don't think it has a huge impact necessarily um, on this class, I don't think it impacts this class at all. As far as going forward, I mean, it's perfectly plausible that there is a player here and there who, you know, has the mindset had, you know, has the mindset of not choosing Penn State or going elsewhere, and maybe Brent Pry's the difference there. We, you know, I mean, he's kind of the one guy that we we don't really hear a lot about him as a recruiter. Like we we've gotten kind of tidbits here and there over the years of you know offensive linemen talking about uh trout lines recruiting and we've seen plenty of florida players and running backs talking about Sater. we haven't really you know we haven't really gotten any peeks behind the curtain of how how brent pry kind of sells his program and his vision uh as far as it as far as it pertained to penn state so it's it's certainly possible they lose a guy here and there, but ultimately I, I don't think it ends up making too much of a difference in that regard. Penn State, you know, when it comes to Penn State and linebackers, it's it's a lot. The, the tradition just has so much to do with that and the guys that have come before him and, frankly, the NFL guys that are, you know, tearing it up on a weekly basis, whether you're talking about Micah Parsons or go back a little further, you want to talk about Sean Lee and Pazlesny and, Bot and uh, Bowman and all those guys that – it's there's enough there to kind of fill the void even before you talk about who the next coach will be. So I don't think it has too much of an impact on the recruiting. Man, I just realized if you are a defensive recruit in the DMV and Brent Pry comes in after the year Micah Parsons just had or is in the midst of having, and if you are especially if you're a Ravens fan and the year Adafi Owe is having, that probably has to be a pretty appealing. But yeah, you go through uh, Penn State's list of defensive commits and uh, of you know, a handful of guys that I just, those four-star guys, uh, Pry was the secondary recruiter on Ken Talley. He was the primary recruiter on Abdul Carter. Uh, but like you mentioned, Nick, I have a lot of faith in whomever Franklin picks as his next defensive coordinator to kind of figure that stuff out. And then ultimately, uh, when it gets time to play football games, play them in such a way that guys are going to want to play in that defense. And then just like 
Penn State's done a really good job over the years of making sure when they recruit guys, they're recruiting guys as a staff. They're having a couple of dudes go and talk to the kids, build up their relationship with the kids, and use a you know a couple of guys. I mean, what there was a picture I believe that uh, Zane Durant tweeted out the other day that showed that Penn State didn't just send someone down to go check on him. They sent down Terry Smith. They sent down Jawan Sider, James Franklin, uh, Joe Warrig, one or two other folks I might be forgetting about in that. But they were making it a point to say, as a football program, we want you, not just as our one coach, we want you. And I think that's something that's going to be fine. But the bigger thing is going to be what happens on the football field because I, I, I think you'll agree with me, Nick. Brent Pry wasn't a perfect defensive coordinator. He had his flaws. His defenses had their flaws. But his defenses were very good at giving Penn State chances to win football games more often than not. And unless you are Georgia and you have a five-star at every position and Dan Landing can kind of just roll the ball out there and go, all right, win us a football game, go allow a touchdown per game – you're that's about all you can ask for. So I think it's going to be hard to find a defensive coordinator who is as good at their job on the field as Brent Pry. But I also think that there are enough out there and there's enough talent in this Penn State program and enough money to go out there and get someone uh, that I I'm interested, but not concerned is how I think I'd put it. Yeah, I agree. And I it's it is going to be really difficult to. Uh, you know, barring some major philosophy changes or anything like that, it's going to be really difficult potentially to really gauge the impact of the impact and the difference of the new coordinator versus Brent Pry next year. Because uh, if if things break a certain way in you know several on several different occasions, Penn State could be starting eleven new players on defense next year. Like that's not going to happen, but it is it is it's on the table like 11 of the 12 starters have the option of moving on to the NFL if they choose to do so or are you know, they they're moving on no matter what the only guy who is for sure on this defense back next year is Curtis Jacobs um now there's plenty of guys that were not starters this year for different reasons like Adisa Isaac would have been a starter but you know got hurt so he'll be back Hakeem Beeman, you know, it sounds like he's probably going to be back and he was expected to be kind of a nice chess piece along the defensive line. But, you know, it's, we know Jaquan Brisker's gone. Jair Brown didn't walk on senior day, which, you know, kind of seems to imply that he'd be back considering he was a senior. And Franklin said that they would walk anybody that they, you know, even if they did decide to come back later, you know, just in case. So that, I th- thought that was interesting. So I assume he'll be back, but it, I, it's, I think it's going to be a very different defense next year, regardless, just personnel wise. And I think that's going to make it a little bit tough to figure out, but yeah, it's, I, the, the only thing that I think is unfortunate about the timing of Brent Pry leaving is that at least myself personally, I've been saying for years now that, you know, every time a new recruiting cycle starts, I immediately zero in on who the top defensive backs, specifically cornerbacks, are that yeah. Penn State has a shot with. Because I've I've been banging the drum for so long that if Brent Pry had 
a pair of elite cornerbacks or even just one elite cornerback, two very good cornerbacks, whatever it is at the same time, that this defense would be completely transformed and really go to the next level. And we saw that this year. We saw Tariq Castro-Fields and Joey Porter Jr. were, uh, I think I think Joey Porter Jr. slowed down a bit as the season went on, but I think they both played at a very good to elite level at several different points throughout the year. And you saw how much that benefited the rest of the defense. You saw Pry be able to get way more creative with his linebackers and his blitzes because he knew that he had guys on the outside who could mm-hmm. single up in coverage and take care of their assignments. And that, I think, you know, it doesn't look like Penn State's cornerbacks are going to really fall off anytime soon. Tariq Castro-Fields uh, will be gone. And I, I'm going to go ahead and say that Joey Porter Jr. comes back. I'm just I'm going to put that out there. But even though Tariq Castro-Fields is gone, I think Kalen King is ready to become a superstar. Um, so I don't think that the quality of the cornerbacks is going to go down anytime soon. So it is a little unfortunate for the timing for Brent Pry in that regard as far as his Penn State defenses go. But yeah, that's I'm, I'm just kind of at... You know, it's. I think it's going to be really hard to tell the difference given how much personnel turnover there's going to be. Yeah, I mean, it's not like the NFL where like a new coordinator is going to come in and go. Our defensive ends are more pass rushers. I want them to be more guys who are going to be able to seal the edge uh, and give us a really stout running attack. Or our linebackers are all. you know, really downhill guys who want them to be better in pass coverage or whatever, like zone corners versus man corners. No, like whoever comes in has to look at the talent there. And that's ultimately what it is. You look at the talent and you figure out what you're going to do. And there's going to be a a decent amount of talent on Penn State's defense, maybe not as much as this Penn State defense, uh, but it's there. And the potential for it to be very good again is there, uh, which leads us to Nick. Let's let's play a little fantasy football, buddy. Uh, There are... Lots of defensive coaches in the world. And this is an interesting search because James Franklin has never had to hire a defensive coordinator. He's had to hire offensive coordinators. And when he has gone outside of the program, he has shown his willingness to cast a wide net to find a guy. He got Joe Moorhead, who had uh, Pennsylvania connections when he needed an offensive coordinator, but certainly wasn't a guy that once that opened up, every single one of us went, yeah, absolutely. Joe Moorhead. That's like, that's a no brainer fit. He went out and got that guy. When Ricky Ronnie moved on, he got Kirk Shiraka and, you know, we could say anything we want to say about Kirk Shiraka, but that was a hire that was somewhat out of left field. That was James Franklin going for someone who, uh, a lot of fans didn't expect when Mike Yurcich got hired. That uh, less out of left field because I think that was someone that uh, there had been rumors that Franklin had wanted for quite some time in some form or fashion, but still it showed that he was willing to say, I want that guy down in Austin. It's not going to a place where you expect him to go every single time. There is no X to Penn State pipeline. It is. I'm going to go find my guy as long as I'm not promoting internally. I'm going to go find my guy wherever he is. And I expect James Franklin uh, to cast a pretty wide net in this search. Uh, Say that with uh, a very, 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 very lightly informed opinion that James Franklin is going to be willing to cast a pretty wide net here. If he does, well, one, Nick, do you expect him to cast a pretty wide net or do you think he's going to stay uh, nearby in some capacity? And then who are some guys who interest you 
as we're, you know, 10, 12, 10 hours or so uh, away from Brent Pry leaving to head over to uh, Virginia Tech? I, I'm inclined to say that Franklin, I don't think he necessarily narrows himself to any specific, uh, you know, chain or tree or any of that when he's looking for his next coordinator. I, I, I think he's shown that he's willing to kind of grab from anywhere. I mean, have any of his last few hires really had any sort of known connection? I mean, whether we're talking coordinator or position coach, I mean, Phil Troutwine, I don't think had any real connection to Franklin or Penn State prior. Taylor Stubblefield, same kind of story. So, you know, I, I, I'm inclined to say that he casts net as wide as the wide as the country allows. As far as who he goes after, I think first the the first two names I think you have to at least consider are the two guys on the staff currently that would be the promotion candidates, and that'd be Terry Smith and Anthony Poindexter. Terry Smith right now is the associate head coach, the defensive recruiting coordinator, and is the cornerbacks coach. Poindexter is the co-defensive coordinator and the safeties coach. Um, As far as which one of those two, I mean, by seniority, you would assume Terry Smith. He's been here a while. He knows the program. But I think what Terry Smith brings in the recruiting game is also very valuable. So I think kind of keeping him as that defensive recruiting coordinator and a position coach where he has a little more flexibility when it comes to recruiting is a valuable thing too. Um, you know, and we don't really know what Terry Smith's career goals are, yada, yada, yada. When it comes to guys not on the staff, I think the first two names that all Penn, well, I shouldn't say all Penn state fans because there's a big portion of Penn state fans out there who are probably yelling about LeVar Arrington for defense coordinator right now, which is I, w- listen, 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 it's not going to happen. But it would hit me right in the feel goods if Lavar Arrington was Penn State's defensive coordinator. That'd be kind of tight. Lavar Arrington should not be Penn State's next defensive coordinator, but that will not stop people from yelling about it. I think the two names that people are going to be uh, bringing up a lot in the next coming days, or however long it takes for this search, are going to be Sean Spencer and Elijah Robinson. Um, Sean Spencer, you know, obvious connection. He was. Penn State defensive line coach. Uh, I'm not even sure what other titles he had. I want to go ahead and say he was probably an associate head coach when he left. Uh, But he's been with the Giants for, I believe this is his second season there. Um, Whether that time with an NFL team and whether that experience warrants him now taking on a defensive coordinator job, I, I think the question is worth asking whether he's ready for that. I don't know. The other name, Elijah Robinson, is a guy that a lot of Penn Staters wanted to take the job that John Scott Jr. eventually took as the defensive line coach. He's currently the defensive line coach over at uh, Texas A&M. He is a guy who played at Penn, played at Penn State, right, Elijah Robinson? Uh, yeah, Elijah Robinson uh, was a student athlete at Penn State, but then his playing career uh, ended early with a uh, neck injury, and then he was a graduate assistant from uh for for quite a while that's uh, right yeah yeah 
So he's a guy that uh, Penn State fans have been interested in for you know a while now. Originally, oh, he's originally from Camden. I didn't know that. Um, oh boy, two four seven tells you their salaries now too. This is helpful. Currently making five hundred eighty three thousand dollars a year as the Texas A and M defensive line coach. Um, obviously, Penn State could give him a big raise if they wanted to go that route. Uh, but he's somebody who fans are mostly interested in because of his exploits as a recruiter. Right now at Texas, you know, the benefit of Texas A&M behind him, but you know he has recruited several several really highly touted players to wherever he has been. Texas A&M right now, including uh, Walter Nolan in the class of 22, the number two overall player in the country, defensive lineman. So there, you know, there's a lot to like about Elijah Robinson, but I think you have to kind of ask the same questions that you I just did of Spencer. Like, is he ready for a defensive coordinator job? Um, if his biggest asset that he brings is as a recruiter. I'm not saying it is. He has developed plenty of talent as well. But, you know, if one of the big things that you want from him is his ability to recruit, is putting him in a coordinator role as impactful as you would want it to be, yada, yada, plenty of questions there too. So I think those are the two big names, though, that Penn State fans are going to kind of zero in on until they have reason not to. Um, but, you know, I... As, as has happened multiple times now with Franklin, it could very well be someone that we have zero inclination as even a target at this point. So yeah. I don't know. I think it's pretty open-ended. Yeah, it's worth, uh, just one thing worth mentioning. Uh, Andy Staples of The Athletic uh, mentioned that uh, you know Bruce Feldman put out a list of potential candidates for Temple's next head coaching job and put Elijah Robinson on that. Staples added Terry Smith. Uh, to that list, just you know, in a tweet. I don't know how uh, you know Temple's actually going after uh, Terry Smith, or if that's just something that he wanted to float there. Uh, I I think of all the names you mentioned, Robinson is probably the one that interests me the most, just because like I like the idea of having guys who can sell Penn State from the experience of having Penn State sold to them. You have Terry Smith, who's done that. I think Elijah Robinson would do an interesting job with that. His exploits as a recruiter, you just mentioned, he's been at uh, A&M since 2018 after his playing career and has has a lot of experience and has worked under a number of uh, coaches in his time. Uh, of course, he worked under Joe Paterno uh, and then Bill O'Brien here, spent some time at Temple, some time at Baylor, and now at AM. He's a guy who I would be interested if Penn State decides to go with a, a, in a younger route. Uh, one thing that is interesting to me is that in James Franklin's extension, if that did mean he got a uh, more money for his for assistance, not to like knock Robinson or anything like that, but I think he can take a swing on a more proven commodity, a guy who you know, you know, Nick, you mentioned letting your coordinators coordinate and let other people worry about recruiting. You don't have to worry so much about that recruiting aspect of things. Uh, the guy that I'm going to throw out who I have wanted from basically the moment we learned that Brent Pry was leaving, Jim Knowles from Oklahoma State, uh, Philly native, went to St. Joe's Prep High School that uh, gave Penn State John Reed. Uh, the Pokes uh, defense this year was sensational to the point that Knowles is a finalist for the Broyles Award going to uh, the best assistant coach in college football. Uh, Mike Gundy did say he's fairly certain that he'll be coaching here next year. He's made it very clear he does not want Oklahoma State letting Jim Knowles go. Uh, this season, reading this from 24-7, the Cowboys were first in the FBS in sacks, first in tackles for loss, 
first in third down defense, fifth in scoring defense, third in total defense, fifth in first down defense, led the Big 12 in every single one of those categories. And I watched Bedlam. I watched the game that they just played against an Oklahoma team that has a very, 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 very good offense. And second half of that football game, Oklahoma scored nine points. I think it was a safety and some short field uh, or something like that. But other than Georgia, I don't know if I've had more fun watching a defense in college football this year than Oklahoma State. Those dudes hit, they fly around, they play organized, and there are a lot of dudes who are not five-star kids. It's a lot of two and three stars and the occasional four-star sprinkled in. They just are really well coached and know exactly what to do. And I think if James Franklin is able to get into a bidding war, Jim Knowles is the kind of guy that you end up targeting there. I'm sure there are other guys in the world of college football. Uh, Stephen Godfrey from uh, Split Zone Duo and about a million other places mentioned that Brent Pry has been putting together a staff for a couple of days, which leads me to believe, uh, with his relationship with James Franklin, just how this works, that James Franklin's known about this for a couple of days, which means James Franklin has been working on this for a couple of days, which means I... I I don't know this for sure, but I have to imagine that this is not going to be like the uh, Joe Moorhead after John Donovan search where it took a little bit of time to find the guy. This seems like something that I don't want to say is going to be wrapped up in the next day or two or anything like that. But I think James Franklin has probably been working on this for a little and I'm excited to see what comes of it. I think that they get they're going to be able to find someone really, really good when you can sell Uh, The level of talent that exists at Penn State, the level of success that has existed at Penn State and all those other things, it becomes very, very easy to get a guy who knows what they're doing to come to Happy Valley. And I think James Franklin is going to be able to do that, but we'll see. Uh, Nick, any final things either on uh, Brent Pryor? You know, it's been a it's been it's been a minute since you have been on the pod. Just anything about the way that this football season ended that you would want to just mention here before we decide to wrap this up and uh, focus in the coming days on the full big picture look at the program uh, now that the regular season has come to an end. Um, I think I'll, I'll save my oh, my season thoughts for that next podcast we do. I think I'll, I'll just touch on the one thing you said there about uh, the timing and how long this will take for James Franklin to fill this position. And I would Jim Knowles would be an awesome hire. To be clear, like that, that would be the kind of hire that would be uh, yeah. just like that. That would probably end up being probably the most money Franklin will have had to spend on a coordinator. Yeah. I and I, I, I want to mention, like, that's I, I think that's a pretty pie in the sky idea. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Um, but yeah, I think to your point about how Franklin has known about this for at least a couple of days, I'm sure I, I'd be willing to bet this has been in the works even longer than that. Um, and I, to your point about how it needs to move quickly as compared to the last time with Joe Moorhead, yeah, I think you're totally right. And one, because of the early signing period and these kids want to know who their coordinator is going to be. But two, with all of the movement that's going on around college football right now, the, there's so many new head coaches and so many uh, coordinators that have yet to been hired. I think if you're James Franklin, you need to act quickly knowing that knowing very well that if there's a guy you want, he could might not be available tomorrow. Um, so I think that I think that's something that he's going to keep in mind as well. And I agree. I think this is going to be a pretty a pretty swift process. I wouldn't be at all surprised to be 
see it resolved by the end of the week, honestly. So, yeah, um, yeah, excited, they, excited to see what happens there. So what you're basically saying, Nick, is you think they need to swoop in and get Marcus Freeman before Notre Dame makes him their head coach. Yeah, exactly. I don't see why that's unreasonable. Do, do you know what I would do as a person who lives in Columbus, Ohio, if former Ohio State player Marcus Freeman became the next defensive coordinator at Penn State, I would laugh so hard, so hard, especially if that happened in conjunction with Luke Fickle getting the head coach job at Notre Dame, because then the backup plan for Notre Dame, for Ohio State, if they ever needed a defensive coordinator or a head football coach would suddenly both like be gone and boy i would laugh really hard at that but uh yeah i, I do I, think we need to make it abundantly clear that this is not happening yes for okay. anybody listening listen here's what i'll say one nick is correct two i guarantee if you ask anyone with any uh any usc or lsu pod a week ago to talk about Lincoln Riley or Brian Kelly, they would say the exact same thing we're saying right here. Uh, but having said that, yeah, no, Penn State's not hiring them. Don't don't worry about that. Uh, yeah, Nick. So, uh, in other, so in other words, what you're saying is Urban Meyer will be the next head coach of Notre Dame and Marcus Freeman will be the next head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, listen, Urban Meyer is well documented as Notre Dame being his dream job. Like, I think he wrote this in a book in like 2006 that Notre Dame is his dream job. So I'm just saying that would be really funny. Even though he shot it down today, uh, it, it's Urban it, Meyer. It is endlessly entertaining that this professional football team has continued to have to send out these reports that their head coach are, is not interested in these college in jobs. a college job, yeah. Repeatedly. <laughs> It is so funny. I, I, it's also Urban Meyer. So if he, if I wake up tomorrow and I get the push notification that says he's the head football coach at Notre Dame, like I would, I don't even think I would like make jokes about it. I'd be like, yeah, all right, fine, it happened. Uh, I mean, he's got receivers running the wrong routes in week, what are we like, week thirteen, twelve? Listen, man, he he just wants his NFL team having two hundred and fifty yards <laughs> rushing and passing in every single football game. I don't know what's unreasonable about that. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's let's wrap this one up. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. As always, make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you go and get your podcast. If you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five star review. Keep reading and supporting the site. Best way to do that is to make sure you're buying some shirts and make sure you're following us on all of our various social media channels. One last time, thank you, everyone, for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For Nick Pollock, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Thank you, Brent. <laughs>